and welcome to Should I Stay or Should I Go? The podcast providing you with expert career insight and advice from senior people in the fields of insurance and risk management to help you make the right career decisions. Hosted by founder and managing partner of Key Strategies LLC, Mike Tenenbaum. Featuring interviews with those at the top of their game, each podcast explores topical issues coupled with specialist guidance on making your next move in the corporate risk management, insurance brokerage, and the insurance carrier sectors. A seasoned recruiter, Mike Tenenbaum has over 30 years of experience in sourcing top insurance and risk management talent for world-class Fortune 500 companies throughout the US. This experience makes your host the perfect person to kickstart the conversations that will give you the wisdom you need to decide, should I stay or should I go? We are here live today with uh, Mike Lubbin, who is Director of Global Risk Management for Henry Crown and Company, which is a global conglomerate based in Chicago. Mike, welcome to New York. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here, Mike, and I really appreciate you taking time to uh, sit down with me and uh, share with our listeners a little bit about your journey of how you've kind of become a global risk manager for a global organization uh, with interests in uh, how many countries now? We're actually uh, mostly a U.S.-based company, uh, U.S. manufacturers and and hospitality, but uh, we also have operations in several European countries and Asia. Okay, great, great. So now you got your start in claims, did you not? I did a long time ago. I started with the old Aetna Life and Casualty Company. Um, At the time, it was the largest insurance company in the world. And uh, I was a multi-line adjuster, which uh, is almost unheard of now. Uh, but I handled anything from, you know, dented fenders to medical malpractice and everything in between. Wow. So how'd you like being a claims adjuster? I actually loved it. It was a great job. Uh, so you got a company vehicle and uh, uh, it was uh, never boring. Um, you, um, and it, I think it really prepared me well to become a risk manager for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is you were forced to learn all sorts of different insurance coverages. Um, obviously, you didn't want to pay claims that weren't covered. You need to understand uh, how to interpret, um, you know, damages and so forth. Uh, so you had to read all the policies to understand the claims that you're handling. And then secondly, and probably more importantly, it really exposed me to a different variety of people. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, you could be uh, in sort of, um, you know, tougher areas of the cities where I was working, and then you could be meeting with uh, neurosurgeons, uh, you know, later in the day. So you really got to uh, get used to interacting with uh, all sorts of folks. So uh, meeting with neurosurgeons, what was that like? (laughs) Um, You know, it was just part of the fact-finding mission that a claims adjuster has. So uh, you got used to uh, being able to understand uh, what, the, what the allegations of the claims were and then be able to dig down to figure out if there's any sort of liability. So it ended up just being, um, you know, a fact-finding mission where you would, um, you know, interview uh, all relevant parties. And typically for malpractice then, it was the doctors that we insured. Oh, sorry. So the doctors were your clients? Yeah, because they would be our insureds. We would insure... Um, all sorts of different uh, medical specialists and also hospitals. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so that must have been interesting. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so you feel like being a claims person really um, gave you a strong technical background uh, to to really understand coverage? Is that is that how you feel? 
Yeah, especially being a multi-line adjuster was very helpful because if you if you think about what a risk manager has to do for a company, regardless of the type of claim and where insurance may apply, um, you know the business is going to come to you and look for coverage. So uh, you really can't specialize just in work comp or general liability. It's it's anything. It might be a EPLI claim, it might be a DNO claim, crime claim, anything like that. So to be multi-line is very helpful. Excellent. So you know you really had to get involved in a lot of different things and deal with a lot of different types of issues, which led you to a lot of different types of people, which um, I guess helped you develop some pretty good communication skills. Yeah, I think so uh, because you end up doing that as a risk manager, right? Because um, you know you're going to be uh, like, for instance, the company that I'm with. Uh, we do a lot of manufacturing. Uh, one, one of the companies that we own that you may be familiar with is is Great Dane. So we make uh, Great Dane trailers. So we make we make trailers. So um, you know you have to be able to relate well to the folks that are on the line, actually making the trailers because um, you know we're going to be instituting risk management programs in which they are involved. Like we just recently did uh, uh, loss mitigation and prevention program around ergonomics. So, uh, you know, our folks on the line are directly involved in that. And then, of course, you're going to have to sell projects or persuade uh, people at the C-suite level to actually buy into the initiatives that you would like to implement. So that's a topic that I want to get into in a little bit more detail later, but I would imagine that's kind of an interesting process in how you sit down with the C-suite folks and get them to buy into your programs. It is because, you know, I've, what I tell people that are wanting to get into risk management, um, and I have a, I have a young man now that reports to me that I'm sort of mentoring, uh, I would say is second in command and, and uh, he'll hopefully take over for me when I retire, uh, is our job is really a sales job uh, because um, we, we have, we, we have, we have sort of tech, we have technical skills around risk management. And so, um, you know, we identify risks and we prioritize those risks and we figure out, you know, how can we prevent or mitigate the risks, but ultimately we can't implement and we have to rely on people that are not in our chain of command to implement our ideas. And so the way you do that then is you persuade folks typically at the C-suite level, depending on the broadness of the, of the plan or the expense of the plan. But, um, you, know, you have to convince them that uh, what you want to do is the right thing to do, and oftentimes it requires an investment of capital on their part. And they don't like to part with capital too easy, do they? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that's true. So it's it's really important to be able to show a return on investment. I, I, I would say this, so safety reports into me too. If, if, uh, if it has to do with keeping our employees safe or certainly any sort of regulatory compliance, uh, it's re- return on investment really isn't considered all that much. Uh, if it's if it's other types of programs, uh, you do have to show a return on investment. So if they're going to invest capital, um, you know how are they going to see the financial savings? Excellent, excellent. So um, you spent a, quite a number of years in claims, mm-hmm. and as you said, you were doing multi-line claims, et cetera. So how did you make the leap into risk management? 
So I was, uh, I was actually running a uh, workers' compensation claims unit uh, for Chrysler, and I was living in Detroit at the time, and a position came up within a risk management department uh, for an elevator company called Kone. Um, and uh, um, it was one of the reasons that we were attracted to it was for personal reasons because it was, uh, it was actually closer to where we grew up, and my wife had just had triplets, and so, <laughs> so we were trying to get closer to home. And uh, they really were looking for somebody that had claims experience because they had a lot of heavy casualty claims. Um, along with that, I, I think they looked at the position, they thought, well, we really couldn't have a full-time person uh, just doing claims. So they had thrown sort of the insurance title in there as well, although they knew I had you know, good insurance background. So I started as the insurance and claims manager for, for Kone and uh, was successful. I was eventually a director and then um, VP in the U.S. operation and VP globally. That just sounds a little too easy. <laughs> you know, I talk to people all the time who, who come from a claims background and aspire to be a risk manager, and it's just not that easy for most people. But I think you were, uh, it sounds like you were in the right place at the right time. You went to a company that really embraced claims and, and uh, gave you an opportunity to expand beyond that. Yeah, it's not that easy. Um, so I, I, I can tell you the mistake that I made early in my career is thinking that um, technical skills are really everything that you need to get ahead. And obviously you do need a certain level of technical skills because you want to have credibility with the folks that you work with. But so much of it is interpersonal skills. And I say that in a very broad way in the sense that when you start as a risk manager, you have to get credibility, not, not only that you have technical skills in the areas that the business is going to want you to have technical skills in, like insurance coverages, understanding ways to prevent and mitigate losses, but also understanding the business. So um, I eventually figured out that um, what you really need to do as a risk manager is to get in, really understand the business so you have this sort of street cred uh, with the operations folks because you're going to be asking them to implement your programs. And if they feel like you don't understand the business, they're not gonna to wanna to do that. So I, I think what you have to do is show you have strong technical skills, show that you understand the business well, and then be able to relate to them. Um, so it's not, um, it's being able to get along with other people and um, so that they, you can begin to have sort of a relationship, real positive relationships with folks, especially in operations. Uh, and then they, you develop this sense of trust. And so they feel like, okay, I'll, I'll put some time and money into your project because I know you, I think you know what you're doing and you know the business. And so I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then I think that's what really makes you successful. Yeah, I would totally agree. You know, it's, it's like that in many aspects of the insurance field. You know, if you spend the time to learn the business that you're working in or to learn your client's business, right. Um, you know, and, and in your case, you have internal clients. So uh, the whole key is, you know, to really invest that time to develop the relationships and to learn the business so that people feel like when they talk to you, you understand their issues. Right. And, exactly. and, um, and how did you actually go about doing that? Because, you know, it's, it's probably not a given that you just walk into a business and you could read a bunch of annual reports and now you understand their business. 
No, I think um, hopefully when you would get into a risk manager role, you would you would ask to to be able to do some traveling. Uh, for instance, we own uh, many many businesses uh, as we're a conglomerate. Um, so what I did is is I began to just make trips to visit all the different facilities that we have, so I can understand how you know how we make buses, how we make trailers. Um, go to some of our resorts so I could look at, you know, the accommodations that we have and the exposures and so forth. So it's it's really spending time getting out, getting onto the floor and really seeing how things get done. To do the risk manager job successfully, you sort of have to do it on horseback. <laughs> you can't you can't do it uh, you can't do it in the office. I, I can't say that I've ever heard that put quite that way, but I get your point. Yeah, yeah you really have to, you have to feel comfortable uh, going to the different uh, operations and spending time with the people that are actually doing the work um, and understanding what they're concerned about. Um, so you can begin to be concerned about those same things. And I think once they understand that you're trying to help them, which you are, of course, and that you have some unique tools that could assist them in reducing their total cost of risk. Because, you know, most of those folks don't know anything about risk management, very little. So they don't understand the tools that you can bring. So once you understand the business and you can and you show those people that you can bring unique tools to bring down their costs or protect their employees, they want to buy into it. Yeah, that's great. So while you're talking, I'm thinking that, you know, before I got involved in recruiting in this field, I uh, had maybe uh, just a very, very narrow view of what I thought risk management was and, and what it was that a risk manager really does. And it never really occurred to me how big a deal it is to build relationships and to really uh, uh, get to know people and have them get to know you and to be able to work off of that. Yeah, I think it's... Uh it's not only important, I think it's critical. I think if you don't build relationships, you're never going to be a really good risk manager. You can buy insurance, uh, but even then, uh, you're not going to fully understand the risk that you're trying to insure. Uh, but you want to go beyond uh, just buying insurance. In fact, I, I don't know of too many risk managers that just buy insurance. Um, and, and I think the role has expanded so much just really since I started. So I, I started in the claims field in the mid 80s and got into risk management sort of in the late 90s and it, it really has the position has evolved to um, sort of this backroom insurance and claims operation to now you are essentially involved in just about everything the company does so it's a it's a much more impactful exciting position now than it's ever been well that's uh, i think more a credit to you because you know you are making it that way you know, you're making sure that you're getting out there and getting to know the business and, and you know, becoming more strategic as a result of that. So uh, I, I guess it would be helpful to hear a little bit about some of the things that you do that are more strategic in nature and some of the, um, not necessarily the strategies, but uh, if you have an example or two of how you've used a more strategic mindset to be effective in your job. Well, uh, one thing that I'd done with, uh, with Henry Crown and Company, and I think one of the reasons they wanted to hire me, is I um, developed and launched the Enterprise Risk Management Program uh, within Henry Crown and Company. So if I look at the risks that are on our risk register, uh, I think um, you know, very few, if any, are actually insurable losses. So I, I think that tells you how far the position has come through the years. 
So what we did essentially is we formed a, I led this initiative where we formed a risk council of uh, senior management folks. And then I went out to all the various business units and met with their presidents and CFOs. And by the way, think about that as a risk manager, right? I mean, uh, you know, several years ago, that would have never happened. Now CFOs and, and presidents are, are taking their time to speak with the risk manager. Um, but I met with them and uh, we actually used a total quality tool to come up with uh, based on frequency, severity, and, and what I call the velocity of the risk or how quickly the risk comes upon you um, to actually come up with their most significant risks. Uh, and from that, uh, I worked with the risk council and we narrowed it down to, I think we had 10 or 12 what I would call actionable risks, so things that we could we could actually have an impact on. And, uh, and from that, uh, then we assigned owners of each of those risks, and then um, we had those owners develop plans, and then we, the, the council, along with myself, validate the plans to make sure that we think that they're going to work. They have to put together metrics to show that they're working, and then we follow those those plans so that um, those particular risks that are either prevented or mitigated. And it's anywhere from um, things you would think would show up on there, like business continuity planning to loss of profitability for some of our, our business units. So I think that's, that's pretty strategic and actually impacts the goals that our, our organization has. Yeah, so that, uh, that certainly increases your visibility, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and there, of course there's a risk to that, right? Uh, so <laughs> you have to do a good job. Um, but uh, uh, you know what I found is again, if if you build good relationships with those folks, who are going to end up on the risk council. The folks who are going to own the the risks. Um, so you have good relationships with them. Even if you make a mistake or two, you're okay because they 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 trust that you're a good person. And you have some credibility built right. up. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I would think that when you're going around meeting with presidents and, and other C-suite executives, talking to them about their risks, that really sets you up really well for a business continuity plan as well. So you sort of have dual benefits from that. Yeah. So, um, you know, through the ERM process, we identified uh, two what I call strategic risks that I ended up owning myself <laughs> as the owner. <laughs> so it added work to my plate. Uh, I don't know why I did that. But um, so anyhow, one was business continuity planning. Um, and, uh, and it's really unique for us because we have, um, uh, we have a significant number of businesses. I'll say that we have, uh, eight that are, um, manufacturing based, um, which really need business continuity plans, especially. Um, and so I ended up own, owning business continuity and supply chain disruption. So, um, then I got to sort of expand my role there as well. So, and those are just, it, it's sort of the same process. I mean, you, you, you develop. You develop a, a mitigation plan by working closely with businesses uh, because they're they're each unique in their own way, especially for business continuity. Um, then you get them to buy into the plan. You know, again, sales position, <laughs> and then and then uh, and then follow up so that they implement. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you you hit on one uh, term that I was going to ask you about is you know how much of what you're doing involves sales and marketing of your ideas and your your strategies. Oh, I. If I'd apply a percentage to it, maybe 50%, because it's, uh, and it's, and it's not just internally either, right? I mean, so if you do, one thing that we do, of course, in risk management is we do buy insurance. So you're essentially selling your exposure to underwriters as well. So a good portion of the job is, is sales. So you have to have technical skills 
You have to understand the business so you can develop good risk prevention or loss prevention and, and mitigation processes and programs and develop ways to implement. Uh, but so much of it is, is sales because you, you know, you have to put together presentations that make sense and show a good ROI and, and then be able to present that in a, in a persuasive way to the C-suite or underwriters or whomever you're selling to. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting because, you know, I think a lot of people would not have said that a risk manager is really a salesman also. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're, I think we're mostly salesmen with, with strong technical skills. Excellent, excellent. So one thing we didn't talk about yet are uh, financial skills. And, you know, if you're talking to the CFO, I would imagine you have to have a pretty good financial acumen as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you tie in your financial skills to what you do and, and when you're making presentations and, and interacting with the CFO? Yeah, so, um, so I have an MBA, and I, and I think that's very helpful uh, because uh, you, you know, I'm certainly not at the level of a CFO, um, but I can understand basic financial statements. I can understand the verbiage that's used by a CFO. I can understand that, um, you know, when we implement a program, how that might impact their P&L or their balance statement um, or balance sheet. Um, we do a lot. We, we look at, and I'm involved with a lot of captives. So uh, that's interesting because typically CFOs aren't aware of how captives work. So if you're responsible for that, you really have to understand how the accounting works there. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. And we've just, uh, and another example is we, um, we just moved one of our smaller business units uh, from a guaranteed cost program, which is unheard of in our organization, to a large deductible program, which is quite typical. Well, that is a lot different than what they're used to. So you need to know, okay, how is that going to affect their accounting? So it's, it's really um, having a, somewhat of a financial background or understanding and then you know, thinking in advance what concerns might the CFO or the president have from, a, from an accounting or financial perspective going into a meeting is important so you can address those things. So if you went from a guaranteed cost program, which I would consider to be as close to 100% predictability situation, um, to... A, uh, a high deductible plan, would you say? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess one of the biggest challenges you had to overcome is to get somebody comfortable with the idea that you don't have 100% predictability. Yeah, that's right. Um, so um, you can do certain things, obviously. So we had a good um, history of their losses, and we had an actuarial analysis done. So um, we got them comfortable that that's what actuaries do is, is they predict your future losses based on your, your, prior, your prior claim payouts. Um, so uh, we showed them essentially that you know, how their premium is going to um, go down, uh, but they will have this large deductible and there is some risk associated with it. And, we, and so what we ended up doing um, is we kind of put it in terms of um, you know, how many additional significant losses they could have uh, and still save money on the program. Because there, there is, I mean, at, at this point, we were talking about $250,000 per occurrence deductible. So they could have, in this particular instance, they could actually have a couple of those, which is unheard of in this industry. But they could have a couple of those and still be break even or actually making a little bit of money on the changeover. So I got them comfortable with, okay, that's not going to happen. 
the actuary thinks we're going to be at this level. Um, so they, they got comfortable with the program. Yeah, that's great. But that's a process. You know, you don't just walk into a meeting and say, uh, here you go. Right. And, and what was and it was funny because um, um, we were working with our, our broker to put together sort of this presentation that we're going to travel out to this uh, particular uh, uh, business unit and talk to them about the changeover because it made total sense for them to do it. If you look at it, just just the numbers made total sense. And the, um, the broker had put together um, all these spreadsheets that they were going to show the CFO. And I said, it's way too complicated. They're not going to want to know all that because they're simply used to writing a check and giving it to the broker. And then literally once a month, they would get loss runs. Um, so we, what we ended up doing is putting together uh, one, uh, just, just one slide, and it showed a schematic of their program that they have now and then moving to the large deductible program. And then we talked them through um, you know, what the savings would look like you know, based on the probable claim payouts within the deductible um, as the actuary saw it. So you basically took something that could have been very complex and you simplified it knowing who your audience was so that uh, it's something that they could understand and readily process. Right. And what was interesting is after we left that meeting, I remember talking to the broker and saying, you know, we, we made it extremely basic, but I wish we would have made it even more basic because we began getting questions like, what's a third-party claims administrator? Right. It's interesting, right? you got to know your audience. Right. And I, I failed there because, uh, you, you know, I... I did a good job showing them their current insurance program, what it would look like. But having been in the weeds for so long, you you forget that people don't understand what's the claims process going to look like to them uh, now that they're going to be using a, a TPA as opposed to just you know giving a premium to a broker. Right, right. So it, it brings up uh, a good point that resonates with me because I, I just wrote an article recently on it's not what you say, but how you say it. Yeah. And so, so this is really like feeds right into that. Oh, good. Oh, good. So thank you for that. <laughs> yes, that was great. That was great. So um, in thinking about a couple other things that are probably more common for you to get involved in, uh, I'm thinking about, you know, mergers and acquisitions, mm -hmm. you know, um, what's typical for you and your experience in terms of when a risk manager gets involved in the M&A process? Boy, that's a tough one to say what's typical because I've been with companies before where, um, you know, they walk into your office and say, we just bought a company. Um, you know, we need to be transitioned into our programs. Uh, but the company I'm with now, we do a lot of M&A. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of acquisitions. And so we have a really nicely defined process. So we are involved from day one. So once a letter of intent goes out, so we're going to seriously look at a company, uh, risk management is involved in that. And so we, we see the initial uh, management presentation so we understand the business that we're buying. Uh, and then we, um, we begin to develop our, our due diligence requests and right from the very beginning. So it's, it's, that's the best way to do it. So you can really understand, get the information that you need to help make a decision on whether or not you want to buy the company. But I think it varies. To answer your question, I think it varies greatly. Yeah, no, I, um, I think it does also actually. So it really wasn't a fair question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but but um, I guess what you highlighted, though, is if in the ideal scenario, risk management is involved right up front. Absolutely. And, and I the process that we have with, with, uh, with Crown & Company is that all the key disciplines are involved up front, uh, which, 
which really makes for a nice process. And then we, on a regular basis, uh, we get together as a as an overall team and kind of talk through, you know, what we've found out so far as the documents start to come in on the in, during the diligence process until we're completely done. And and by the way, um, you know, more more and more you're seeing reps and warranties coverage being used for acquisitions. So. It, that tells you it's really key for risk management to come involved. Right away. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Great point. I'm just curious. So um, when you're doing an acquisition, you're dealing with uh, the risk managers, perhaps on the other side, if it's a sizable company. You know, um, how do you find the cooperation in a situation like that? Because I guess it could be a little nerve-wracking to be the target company. Yeah, again, it, it, uh, it varies. Um, my experience has been is that the risk manager of the company that's being acquired oftentimes is not involved. Um, sometimes they are uh, on, in larger acquisitions, but um, not necessarily is that's not necessarily the case. Uh, so you just uh, you're getting documents fed by you know one or two or a small number of individuals from the company, oftentimes through a third party. Uh, and so that where the problem comes in there is that, the people that are providing risk managers information oftentimes don't understand the documents they're supposed to provide. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah, and so what happens is I think you can actually frustrate uh, the uh, the company that you're looking to acquire because you keep asking for the same things. And so um, if you can find ways to communicate it so they can understand it, that's that's really key. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great point. And it comes back to communication skills, relationship building, you know, uh, having some empathy. Right. Yeah, exactly. So great. So, um, you know, uh, there's a couple other things I just want to cover. Um, this has uh, been really, really insightful. Um, what I'm thinking about now is from a um, um, from the standpoint of if you're someone who aspires to be a risk manager one day, um, you know, what advice would you, uh, do, do you wish you had earlier on in your career um, that would have been helpful to help you get to where you are now? First of all, I mean, the first step is to um, have the credentials to actually get into a risk management department. Um, I, I think for the most part, things are changing. I mean, you're seeing uh, more and more universities have risk management um, majors, which was unheard of uh, when I was going to college. I think there was some insurance majors you could get at various universities, but um, now there are more. In fact, I, I do the risk management residence, so I speak to those those students. But um, So sometimes uh, you will be able to take a, a corporate risk management position right out of college, although I still think it's a little rare. But um, so if you're coming from like an insurance company background, claims, whatever, I think it'd be good to um, show that you, one, you have interest and and try to get some at least academic sort of skills in risk management. So that might mean getting designations like certified risk manager or something like that. And then, um, and then once you actually get into the corporate risk management department, then I think it's those things that we've been talking about is um, you're, I mean, the expectations are going to come with technical skills, but then it's just how well do you get along with others? You know, how much do you want to learn about the business and so forth? You're, you're not on an island. You're not just this, this insurance guy. You're, you're just part of the, you got to remember you're part of the business. And so I would do everything I possibly can to learn more about the business and to get along with people as best as possible. 
That's great advice. Great advice. So it's, you know, uh, it is a lot of what we said earlier, all wrapped up into one nice, neat little answer. So thanks for that. Um, so, you know, um, I guess just to kind of wrap things up, um, if, if, I'm, uh, if I'm getting all of this um, correctly, you, you start out in claims, so you learn coverage. You learn the technical side of insurance. And then when you get into a corporate risk management position, you really focused more on learning the business and learning um, how to uh, understand the exposures. And um, when you were talking about enterprise risk and having a risk committee, um, you mentioned something about how you, know, you identify the top risks and then you identify the owners of those top risks. Mm -hmm. So that means that as the risk manager, you're not necessarily the owner of these risks. Absolutely. I, I, uh, so um, our risk may, our ERM program, Enterprise Risk Management Program, is a, maybe a little bit different than others in that I tried to limit the number of risks that we were tackling so we really could take action on those things. So I think we at any given time, I think the most we've had is maybe you know, 12 or 13. And of those, I only own two. So you're really convincing other people how important this project is and that they have to do additional work, sometimes in an area they're not that familiar with, um, you know, to, to have an impact on the company. So again, it's, a, it's sort of a sales thing, persuasion. Right, it's sales, marketing, right. you know, and, uh, and I think I would be surprised if I went around asking people about your reputation which I actually did at one point. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, there are people that view risk managers as the people that walk into a room and say, okay, here's the guy that's going to tell me no. And I don't think that's your reputation at all. I hope not. I hope I'm never that way. Um, I, I might be the person that, that tells them, here's the exposure you're taking on if you do those things. And here's maybe some things we could do to try to mitigate that exposure. But I never want to be the guy that says no. Right, right. But but you you said a really important thing. You know, just to help people understand the impact of what they're going to do is huge because then they're they're making decisions with an open eye. Exactly. No, no, exactly right. I mean, I feel, I view like our job, as you mentioned earlier, we have internal customers and we essentially are consultants to them, and so. If they're going to do something, um, they may not be aware of certain liability exposures they're taking on or um, how it might impact other risk programs. And so I think it's our job to tell them that. But I, I certainly, I, I would never tell the business no, that they can't do something. I just don't think that's, you know, you, you tell them what the exposure is. You try to find ways to mitigate the exposure. But it's ultimately the business makes those decisions. Right, right. You're, you are the advisor. Right to help them just understand the risks right. of what they're doing. They expect that from you. Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, if, uh, you know, if it's an acquisition or something like that, then they're gonna price that into the deal, right. exactly. which is great. Okay, so um, I think we're good for now. Okay. Uh, I really appreciate your time. This has been very helpful and insightful, and, uh, and thank you very much. Right. Thank you, nice seeing you again, Same here. Thank you for listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Brought to you by Key Strategies LLC, the US insurance and risk management recruitment specialists. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. And if you have any specific career-related questions, please post them or send an email directly to Mike at mtenenbaum at keystrategies.com. He may even answer your question on the show. 
When you subscribe, you'll also get notifications of when the next episode is available. Hope you join us next time. Bye.